Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 119 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. The telework environment that we've all been living in for, I guess, the last, what, four months now. I mean, it's hard to believe we're here in the in the summer, the middle of the summer, basically, and we're still doing the same thing we were doing back toward the end of the winter. Uh, but this telework environment that we're in now, Robert, it seems to me will be around for a while longer yet, based on what we're hearing about what's happening with the virus. Is that fair to say, do you think? I think it's fair to say people have learned they can do it. People have shown i think in many cases they can be as or more productive than they were when they were going into the office so i do think not for everybody but for a large swath at least of the federal workforce you'll be seeing greater reliance on telework for a long long time one of the organizations that really has been a pioneer of remote work is the patent and trademark office they've been on this bandwagon for a really long time years now and the chief information officer there is Jamie Holcomb. He's our guest on FedHeads this week. Jamie, welcome. What's the history of remote work at the Patent and Trademark Office? Well, thanks for having me. The history of the trademark, uh, Patent and Trademark Office is such that over the last 10 years, we slowly introduced telework for our examiners. We have over 13,000 employees. 8,000 of them are patent examiners and about 800 are trademark examiners. Most of our examiner core, every day, rolls out of bed in the morning and goes down to their home office and signs in through a special router, and we create a secure VPN connection in the back. So prior to COVID-19, we had about 8,000 simultaneous VPN connections. And what we experienced, of course, when COVID-19 hit, was a request to do mandatory telework for the entire force. So we pretty much had to double our capacity overnight. And although we did have some minor glitches, within 48 hours, we were up and running with over 14,000 simultaneous VPN connections every day for the past four months. So we've done uh, a pretty good job of accommodating the 13,000 workforce plus assorted contractors. So, Jamie, is, is your view of productivity any different? Are you seeing an uptick or a decline in productivity? What can you say about those numbers? Because you've probably got the best way of measuring it of any agency in the federal government. Yes. In fact, I take pride in that. We are a productivity-based agency. And as such, we've actually seen our numbers increase and exceed numbers from last year at the same time. Because everybody is at home and nobody's taking vacation. So a lot of times people would have taken vacation by now and we have not seen that. So our numbers show productivity is increasing year over year. Well, that doesn't sound good. Are you going to, what are you going to do to try and get them to take some time off? Are you, are you worried about people working too hard? Well, of course we do worry about them working too hard, but that's where the supervisor and direct uh, managers come in and make sure that people have the appropriate amount of work. But to encourage people to take some time off, we've instituted no meeting Fridays. 
and other types of incentives to ensure that you're taking the proper time off and getting time to spend not just with your family at home, but with your family at home when you don't have to work. So, yes, we are taking that very seriously just for the sanity of all included. Given where you were with remote work before this happened, Jamie, did you have to do anything to get from where you were to where you just described that you are today, or did you have the infrastructure in place to be able to accommodate that transition? That's a great question because I've been talking to my fellow CIOs about what I've done only because we knew what was going on and we knew how to respond. I had the infrastructure in place and the SLAs on contract in order to double my capacity on demand. Now, I only had known that because of my commercial expertise and my prior expertise with data center work in the commercial industry. It just so happened that in January of this year, we doubled our pipe, our internet connectivity to the USPTO. Serendipity, it has not increased and we have not, matched, we have not gone over the max because as I said, we doubled our size. So right now we're hitting about the 80% mark of our bandwidth capacity. And we might consider if we hit the 90% mark to increase that bandwidth more. But what I'd like to tell everyone out there is you have to be ready to respond before the crisis happens. And in order to do that, you don't want to pay for the infrastructure that you don't need, but you need to have it on demand. And that's usually a contract. And that's usually something that you can bring up when a crisis does happen. But you have to put those things in place before the crisis. Jamie, one of the things that we've talked about on this show is that similar to a pandemic, another great risk is a a massive cyber attack. Um, That could be a double, there's a potential double double whammy. You talk about, um, you know, what your what your cyber posture is today, what greater risks you see, and how you've prepared for that kind of crisis? Oh, sure. The fact of the matter is, with a doubling of the infrastructure and with everybody doing telework, you have the opportunities for people to try to break in even more. And so, although it does increase the monitoring uh, problem, we do have a 24-7 knock and sock at Alexandria in our headquarters. Now, we have manned that over the four months with a minimum manning, and what we did was we split up the group such that half the group is operating in one building and half the group is operating in the other building at the same time. Just in case if somebody does get sick, the whole shift won't be taken out. And so we do all of the preparation, the temperature readings, and making sure the masks are worn and so forth. Before we enter, we enter at one end of the building and exit at the other. But we do have that cyber posture constantly being monitored, and I'm looking at it right now at my desk. And so have I noticed different um, bad actors trying to get in? Not necessarily, because before COVID-19, we had a lot of problems with bad actors trying to get in. So have I seen an uptick, uptick or increase just in the volume and monitoring of things? Everybody's still trying to hack in. Jamie, we talked a little bit before we started recording that I wonder if it is time 
to think differently about what we've been talking about telework. The primary example that we've seen across the federal government is that we assume that the average federal worker is working from his or her home during this. And you, you alluded to that with your team of PTO. It's a home office type environment. Is it time to think differently about that? I recall a time when the General Services Administration had remote work locations at various places throughout the capital region, and that was a place that uh, somebody could go and work. And that was primarily during a time, you know, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, when uh, the average worker didn't have the bandwidth capability at home to connect to a high-speed internet connection and, and, and therefore get to a VPN and and do what she needed to do for uh, business in the home environment. That's obviously not the case anymore, but I, I wonder if just maybe it's time to start thinking differently about telework versus remote work, at least to think about them as two different terms instead of the same thing. I totally agree with that concept. So, in separating the two, definitions are important. You could consider telework to be from home, and you could consider remote work anywhere other than the office. And having that definition is very important because um, we have an opportunity now not to go back and do the old ways of working. One of the big things I'm trying to influence at the PTO is new ways of working. Think differently. Be creative. Why is it that we have to go and talk to one another in a building that's so expensive in the middle of a metropolis and we're paying so much money for these buildings? Can we do it elsewhere at a reduced cost? I know the commercial world, especially the startup world, has been doing this for a long time. From what I perceive is happening, or maybe a philosophical point is, these points like Silicon Valley, where it's very, very expensive to get together, maybe we're going to have things disparate and apart. Maybe it's going to be in Nebraska or Montana or New Mexico or other different places nowadays. We don't have to be tethered to our desks. We can meet and do things that haven't been thought of before. And so I really would like to see remote work only, we, um, only be obligated to when you need to meet one another, when you need to have that eye-to-eye contact with the human touch and the ability to understand the other party and negotiate terms. Because there's something that we do lose if you're meeting someone for the first time on a screen. It's very two-dimensional. It, it cannot have the warmth of the human meeting face-to-face. But once that's established face-to-face, then the 2D relationship usually becomes better and better. So I do think we have this unique opportunity to actually be better in the future. So it sounds like there's an opportunity to leapfrog in the way we've been working to do it much more cheaply and efficiently. You've got domain over one of the busiest IT systems in the world. Can you talk about the application of tools to help advance technology and streamline processes to get the mission of the Patent and Trademark Office done? Yes, I can. That is why I am there, to create a revving of the engine of this economy. The whole thing needs to... 
Yeah, you just did. The whole thing about better, cheaper, and faster, bringing commercial terms to the government. The government's always talking about getting better, but never about cheaper or faster. And I want to include those two elements in this. And in doing so, to think that you will have a tool in place for longer than five years, especially if it's a software tool, is ludicrous. The only architecture that we should be implementing is something that you can put in a tool and rip it out the next day if you had to because a new, a new and better tool comes along. Right now, the monolithic enterprise architectures that were created in the early 2000s are truly dragging the federal government down. What we need is nimble applications that can be used on a moment's notice to gain data and to understand and analyze where before an algorithm needed access to all these disparate databases, now it's within our power to bring that data virtually to an algorithmic discussion and analysis that heretofore couldn't happen. But we need to take advantage of that and we need to unleash the federal bureaucracy and get the federal workers out there using these tools that are fast and efficient. What's the best strategy, in your view, Jamie, to empower people like you and others across the government who want to do that, who are excited to do that, motivated to do it, and may be held back by whatever? How do you remove those roadblocks that are preventing that vision that you just articulated? Well, I tell you what, I'm always reminded of Tom Cruise in that movie. Show me the money. And where is the money? The money is involved with the entire procurement process. We have to challenge our procurement officials to let these far barriers down. The FAR was never meant to be an impediment to progress, and yet our interpretation and judgment of it puts up these walls. Why are people having to develop all these new things when you have GWACs that are available for you to use vehicles, contract vehicles in place, working, make it happen. You do not need to wait six months before you get something. You can get something in 90 days if you do it correctly. You can get something in 30 days if it's needed that much. We have to challenge the procurement officials to think differently about procurement. Jamie, thinking differently is what we love to talk about on this podcast, so we're grateful for you to come on and uh, have a conversation with us today. Thanks very much for doing it. Really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for offering the invite. It's truly really my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grand Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.